Hello, and welcome back to Cam and Rue Start a Book Club. Rue, we are back. We didn't forget about our podcast this time. Our friend Angela, who listens in and sometimes sends angry text messages about when her next episode will be available, will not be disappointed in us. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) This month, we are here to discuss The Shadow King by Ma Aza Mengiste. And forewarning to anyone listening, uh, Rue and I are not experts at pronunciation here. So just know, going into it, we're going to make a few mistakes as we pronounce the names. We are trying our best to understand the right way to say them, but again, not experts. We're, we're doing our best here. Um, before we jump into the Shadow King, though, let's quickly go over uh, a little housekeeping. Our next book is Together Tea by Marjan Kamali. Uh, And this is from an author, Rue, that you have already read a previous book with. Yeah, she wrote The Stationery Shop, which I loved. (laughs) So in this book, Marjan's book, um, this is really, it seems to be the story of a mother and daughter relating to one another. Um, The daughter, Mina, um, is having a culture clash Um, She's living in the United States. Her family is from Iran. Daria has discovered the perfect gift for her daughter's 25th birthday, an ideal husband. Mina, however, is fed up with her mother's years of endless matchmaking and the spreadsheets grading available Iranian-American bachelors. Having spent her childhood in Tehran and the rest of her life in New York City, Mina has experienced culture clashes firsthand, but she's learning that the greatest clashes sometimes happen at home. A few chapters into this book, it's an interesting read. What I think is um, going to be more interesting is to see the development of their relationship, the mother-daughter relationship. I think that's really the focal point, but Mm -hmm. definitely an interesting read so far. Yes, I loved that book too. All right, Rue, well, I think we are ready to jump into The Shadow King. So this book is set during Mussolini's 1935 invasion of Ethiopia. Uh, This takes us back to the first real conflict of World War II, casting light on the women soldiers who were left out of the historical record. At its heart is orphan maid Harut, who finds herself tumbling into a new world of thefts and violations of betrayals and overwhelming rage, what follows a heartrending and unputdownable exploration of what it means to be a woman at war. And um, I think this book really sets you up with a couple um, expectations for what the book is about. Obviously, it's set in a war-torn Ethiopian background, um, so you can expect, I think even the first chapter of the book is a map of Ethiopia. Um, So you really do get some geography of that country. as a big fan of Ethiopian food, and particularly a restaurant here in Memphis known as uh, Abyssinia. Uh, that's one of my favorite Ethiopian places. And Thank you. it was interesting just to read about places with those names and start looking at the actual map of Ethiopia. I don't think I've ever really done that before. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a cool part of the book. But so you're getting expectations that you're in a war torn Ethiopia. Women are definitely at the forefront is the the promise here. But that doesn't come through in the beginning. 
Yeah, it's kind of a slow, slow build, but we do start in uh, more, not present day, but a future um, version of the character. So the first chapter is further in time mm -hmm. and the characters are looking back and then you kind of jump into the past. And that's really where the conflict of this book takes place. Yeah, the it starts with the invasion by Mussolini, mm -hmm. but then in the future part, is about a revolution that's taking place against yeah. the Shah. Yeah, I think that is its own interesting theme about how history just repeats itself, right? But Well, I never really remembered from, of course, I've been out of school a long time, but I did not remember Mussolini invading Ethiopia. It makes no sense to me. <laughs> but And I, didn't li I did not like the people in this book. What well, was their their second invasion attempt around that century, right? Um, yes, but, um, the Italians were not happy with their complete trouncing on their first invasion mm -hmm. many years before. Yeah, and then they had, I mean, Europe really divided Africa. They pretty much took what they wanted and started arguing amongst themselves about who could have what. Um, I think this is getting us towards talking about the characters there, and we've already mentioned Herut. Her parents are gone, they're dead, and she's been taken in by a family friend, at least that's how it's presented in the beginning, who was a friend of, he was a friend of her mother, and I guess his father was supposedly a friend of her mother, and he, he would promise to take care of Herut. Well, his idea of taking care of her was having her as a slave in his house. So, I did not like these people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that wasn't really, didn't seem much of a friendship, but I think that is getting towards one of the themes in the book, so we can save that for later, but there was a lot of slavery throughout the book, mm -hmm. um, just across characters, which was an interesting thing to kind of go through. But in that household... So the friend is Kadane. Mm -hmm. um, so he is like the man of the household. He's in charge leading them forward. Um, the property owner. And he seems to have some political sway. It seems like he comes from somewhat of a noble family. Um, and then his wife, Austere, uh, is with them. And she also seems to have come from a wealthy or well more well-off family. Mm -hmm. um, and through her marriage, she brings another prominent character. Uh, when she marries Kadane, she brings a character that's simply known as the cook. Mm -hmm. um, the cook was probably one of my favorite characters in this book. Yeah, she's not a likable person, but she's more likable than the rest of this bunch. <laughs> <laughs> she uh, was an interesting character in terms of humor. She was a lot more blunt. Uh, and more straightforward with people. Um, and I, I thought she was really interesting. There was a point in the book where Austere is, um, it's really early in the book. She's kind of going through their items. Do you remember this? She's looking for a necklace that she gave to Kadane when they got married. Mm -hmm. She's assumed that it was stolen by the slaves Hurut or the cook. Mm hmm. So she's going through their meager belongings. And believe me, they didn't have much. Mm -mm. Didn't take her long to go through absolutely everything to mm -mm. dump it all out. Mm -mm. But the only thing the cook is really upset about 
about being taken or discovered was a pamphlet. Not even a pamphlet, it's probably a postcard. Um, and this comes up quite a bit throughout the book, is that as Italy was starting to invade, or even right before they were invading, they were dropping propaganda Leaflets. across the country. Mm-hmm. And they were telling um, slaves that, hey, uh, Italy invading is good for you. We will free you. Um, all you have to do is fight on our behalf. So take up weapons and start murdering the people that have enslaved you. Italy will be there. Mm-hmm. And um, you'll be free in the Italian Ethiopia. Well, you know, Mussolini worked right along with Hitler, and Hitler used the same tactics. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was interesting. It's, it showed kind of a similar divide that we see in terms of politics today. Um, there, Throughout this fictional version of the book, uh, most people are against Italy's invasion. Uh, it seems like the majority of people in the book are okay with how life has been, even if they are slaves. Um, But then you have some characters, and there are a few of them throughout the book, that are happy about Italy invading. And it it just brought up parallels, I think, for me um, in the divided United States right now. Yeah, that was an interesting parallel. Um, Let's see, we've got a few. There are many characters in this book, kind of like the previous ones. We're not going to go through every character, but we do, we should highlight some of the more notable ones. We have on the Italian side, we have a soldier uh, named Ettore. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is a photographer. And so Italy has um, brought him along to really capture what's happening on the field. And that's probably too, uh, too simple of a way to phrase that, um, too simple of an, an idea of what they're doing with him. He's meant to capture their wins, their authority. He's getting images that will be used in Italy to bolster the war effort. Uh, that's propaganda. He's helping them build propaganda. So he's looking for imagery that puts Italy in a good light, makes people feel like Italy is making waves, having success in Ethiopia. Yeah, but he was taking photographs for that colonel that would put nobody in a good light. Just saying. True. He was also part of the military. Very true. And so what Rue's bringing up is Ettore works for Colonel Carlo. He is one of the, um, I think there were three invading forces from Italy. And Mm -hmm. he is, he represents one of, he leads one of the forces. Mm -hmm. Um, And it seemed like he... uh, interestingly was one of the ones at least in this fictional version of the book um that performed better off than the others he got further into ethiopia than the other forces did yeah um and then in the italian camp is a character referred to as fifi she's feeding information to kadane about what the italians are doing and where to attack them I couldn't quite figure her out. Like, are you supposed to accept her as a double agent? It seemed like she was okay with Italy taking over. It it felt like she was comfortable with that. I don't know. I don't think she was okay with the invasion. But she made a living off of these military guys. Mm -hmm. 
she was a prostitute and an informant for she was an informant for Ethiopia in dealing as a prostitute with the Italian military guys hmm. and any other rich guy. True. Um, so before we bring up other characters, we may need to talk briefly about where everyone is. So Kirut is, um, well, really, I guess we should start with Austere. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a point in the book where Kadane leaves he is creating his own uh, military force to work against the italians and so he's recruiting men in his region to help fight against the invading italian forces and while he's off doing that austere who still is struggling with the loss of her child yes there's a couple conflicts between austere and hirut that ultimately push it seems like it pushes Austere off the edge. She just abandons the household, leaves for a couple days, and the cook and uh, Hirut really just kind of go on like normal. They continue to make the meals and the coffee and whatever and wait for her to show up. But she was... Hirut's uh, rifle from her father that her father gave her was taken by Kidani because he's collecting weapons as long as, as well as men for his war. And she did not want him to take her weapon. That was from her father, the only thing she had from her father. So she cre- crept around the house looking for it in places that obviously no rifle would fit. So that made no sense to me. But she looked everywhere for this rifle. Then she started pilfering things and hiding them in the wood pile. And Austere finally noticed she kept looking at the woodpile, so she went out there and forced her to show her what about the woodpile was so It's a good note for any thief, is if you're going to steal something, don't look at where you stored it. Right. <laughs> and then Austere lost her control and got a whip and beat her. Almost to death, yeah. it seemed like to me. And that's where she got the scar on her neck and her collarbone. Hirut. Hirut did, yeah. And left her out there in the stable all day. Right. And the cook finally came and got her. And instead of helping her, he tells her, she tells her, you have to get up and get to work. I did not like these people. But I think that was, that was probably not too... I know it's a fictional version of history, but that probably... That was probably life back then. Oh, I'm sure it was. And then that's when Austere really lost it after Kidani left. And then she went off on her own trying to rouse up the women in the area to go fight. Yeah, I think that um, we're starting to really get into themes here. But I think that Austere, you can kind of see her go into this mania Mm -hmm. uh, in the beginning of the book where it seems like she doesn't have a purpose. Mm-hmm. So, um, for a very early part of the book, the very one of the very first conflicts was really about finding the necklace, um, which ultimately leads to that family finding Hirut's gun that she received from her father, them taking it from her to use against the invading Italian military, and... Austere is spending this time 
throughout the book really focused on finding the necklace. When she does find the necklace, she beats Harut senseless. Mm -hmm. uh, but then I think she kind of is left with still an empty space. Yeah, she did. She realized she'd gone too far with Harut. And the cook was trying to tell her this is not the way. But she never apologized mm -mm. for it. Mm -mm. Well, and I think from there, Austere kind of, uh, she gets into a small conflict with her husband, Kadani. Um, he tries to, for lack of a better phrase, put her in her place. Mm -hmm. um, and Austere, I think she kind of, when Kadane leaves, I think Austere's kind of left thinking, well, he's gone, so I'm going to do stuff for me now. And so this is when she leaves and she starts recruiting women for a female military, mm -hmm. which is one of the more interesting concepts throughout the book. It's definitely, I think, one of the reasons we picked out this book is this idea of um, female empowerment and a female military um, and some pretty gruesome scenes. It's just not something that we commonly think about. I mean, and today we're just not, we don't have as many wars anymore today. And so we don't often see a whole country devoted to fighting um, a purpose. And so this is just something I think really gets your interest going. Well, in Israel, I'm sure they do. Women fight and they all have a, a mandated time in the military. Mm -hmm over there so I think they probably still are but when we have women fighting here in the US um, we just don't see a whole national effort mm -hmm. I think is what I'm trying to say there but um, so ultimately where this takes us is that Hirut moves on and decides to I don't really know if it was her choice she ends up in Austere's female military. Well, Kadani tells Austere that she and the women are going to follow along and take care of the men during the campaign. I mean, they're cooking and healing and all those things for the men as they go on their campaign against the Italians. Mm -hmm. That was their, that's, he, she wanted to fight and he didn't want the women to fight. He wanted the women to do what he wanted them to do. And Harut was part of that. The yeah. cook, Harut, and Austere, and some of the other women. Harut and the cook just kind of get dragged along. Mm -hmm. um, but you do kind of see Austere grow into this more, uh, into this leadership role. I wouldn't say it's a graceful growth. Nope. <laughs> there are definitely some awkward moments throughout the book. Um and painful moments where she's kind of growing into that role. But she, there's also this constant uh, conflict between her and Kadane. Mm -hmm. um, Kadane's character in particular seems really plagued by knowing the best thing to do. And I thought something that was really interesting in the book is he would get a lot of messages um, from the communities around him. Um, so he might be told, oh, the Italians are just around the corner or they're on their way to this point, point A, and you're headed for point B, you should <laughs> go that direction. And he really had to think about, okay, is what's the value of this message? Is it legitimate? Is it a trap? Is it false information? Um, I thought that was really interesting. 
uh, to kind of read through and go through in his mind as he's trying to figure out what's the best move forward. Uh, as they develop this army together, though, uh, we are introduced to more characters um, that are alongside them. So we have a Klilu, uh, who becomes kind of a protector of Hirut. We have a character named Minim, uh, who in the book they say his name translates to nothing mm -hmm. and some of the people in the army are uh, superstitious uh, see his name as a bad omen mm -hmm. um, that there's a problem with his mother naming him nothing and what that could mean for them that it could be uh, bad luck just mm -hmm. having him there with mm -hmm. them uh, and he's not a fighter mm -mm. No, he was one of the more peaceful characters throughout the book, mm -hmm. which is very interesting. We also have um, kind of in the backdrop, so we've got the Ethiopian army being formed by uh, Kadane, austere with Herut in tow. We have Colonel Carlo invading Ethiopia, and with him he has Fifi. Um, and then in the backdrop, we have Emperor Haile Selassie who I don't know anything about, really. This was really my first time considering him. I don't think, I don't remember reading very much about him growing up and definitely not going through Ethiopian education when I was in high school. No, I didn't either. So this was a first time for me to really think about who an emperor in Ethiopia really was. And he wasn't very impressive in the book anyway. Well, that's it did make me interested in learning more about him. In this book, he really seems to be plagued by feelings of suspicion. He really seems to be paranoid, um, which are easy to imagine for someone at, at his role at mm -hmm. a time like that, especially when you're going through war. Um, but I would say the chapters about him were probably my least favorite because they were so hard to ascertain what was really happening and what he was imagining. They were the more or less lucid chapters, I would say. He kept listening to some opera and applying that to his situation. And then he left the country and left them to just duke it out with the town, with Italy. He went to England, to his <laughs> home in England. Yeah, he does leave Ethiopia to fight on its own. And that is a really big plot for the book. He definitely had his own demons throughout the book. He was constantly worrying about his now dead daughter. Mm -hmm. um, who he had married off to another noble leading family in Ethiopia. An old man. That um, welcomes the Italians in. Mm -hmm. So is actively working against the emperor. So uh, there's there, a lot of his chapters are spent blaming himself for his daughter's death, but also blaming um, her husband um, for her death as well. Um, I don't know. I thought those were interesting chapters. This is kind of taking us into themes, so I think this works well. But one of the themes that I really picked up from his chapter was a feeling of, or maybe a questioning of how Ethiopia at that time, and again, it's fictional, but 
for these characters, it felt like if there was some questioning of were they treating their women correctly? Yeah, I'd say not. <laughs> but then which country ever did? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for these characters, definitely not. Um, but I think that's just a historical tale, and it's something that we still struggle with today. Um, I think people just sometimes have a really hard time treating other people well. Mm-hmm. Well, they married these daughters off way too young to be married. Well, and out of a, a feeling of due diligence and working out disagreements between political parties. So, I mean, that's something we can relate to today. Um, especially in America, we have a very divided government. Um, so that is not too far. Um, the idea of a disorganized and upset government isn't too far for us to reach for. Nope, not anymore. I think one of the other, and you brought this up, Rue, when we were talking about the book before we started recording, but freedom is definitely the, you said it was one of the biggest themes for you. Do you want to talk about that? Well, imagine a country invading your country. You don't want that. You want your own freedom. You want to rule yourself. You don't want someone coming over here and ruling you. And it's been that way throughout time. Yeah, I think for me, what was one of the more interesting parts of the concept of freedom in the book, though, it goes back to the cook and the propaganda. Um, There was this question of, well, which freedom? Do I want the Ethiopian freedom or the Italian freedom? And which one is real freedom? Because they were really, some of the characters in this book were really dealing with which freedom suited them better. Mm -hmm. That's true. Well, the cook was promised freedom at some point in her life, which she never got. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was interesting to see them talk about the propaganda used throughout, um, really used by both countries throughout the, the book. As a marketer, that was really interesting to me. Propaganda is marketing. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was, I enjoyed thinking through those kinds of issues uh this does border on this is right before the holocaust Mm -hmm. uh, and world war ii so um well they had their own form of genocide going on here with that stupid colonel from italy (laughs) yeah so you're starting to see some of world war ii and the holocaust you're seeing themes of that you're starting to see it coming of course they didn't know it was coming at that time well here's italy saying it's going to be better for you if we come in and take over. And at the same time, you've got the colonel throwing them off a cliff and filming them as they go. I mean, seriously? I think we're giving too much away. <laughs> I did not like these people. Well, Colonel Carlo, it's hard to imagine anybody would be better off with him. He was definitely a... Psychopath. Psychopath, for sure. Um, but again, a fictional account. Um Hard to imagine, though, that Italy would really view Ethiopians on the same wavelength, uh, would treat them with equality, uh, wouldn't see them as much more than savages. You know, it's hard to imagine they really would have been welcomed. Well, throughout time. (laughs) But I think um, 
I don't know, it's just interesting to start to see the propaganda before World War II, knowing how much propaganda allowed World War II or propped up some of the countries throughout World War II, mm -hmm. even America. America used propaganda to get people to be engaged and feel positive about entering the war. Yeah, rationing and and women stepping into job roles that had previously been only for men so that the men could go fight the war. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that was all in my mind as I was reading these chapters. There were a lot of parallels, uh, not direct parallels, but that idea of women stepping in and stepping up and... Um, men making space for them, mm -hmm. um, working together as a unified country towards a common goal. Um, I can I remember mom talking about the rationing. She grew up with rationing from World War II. Dad was in France during the war. He was an airplane mechanic. So this is not that far back in time. Yeah. It was just interesting to kind of have those thoughts in mind and kind of going in parallel with what these characters were dealing with because mm -hmm. they are dealing with similar things that Americans and Britons and other Europeans were going through in World War II. Mm -hmm. um, different countries, but similar conflicts, similar worries, similar hopes for for their themselves and their family members. I think it really just boiled down to people being people everywhere, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then obviously we started to talk about how this book draws in a lot of people just with the idea of, of a female army. I think people really are interested by that idea. Um, so women's rights are a key part of this book. Um, I imagine a lot of people would pick up this book because they do want to learn. They would find that interesting and would want to read more about that. We didn't see a ton of that in the book. There were a few women that were picked up to be focused on like Harut and Austere. And of course these are fictional characters, but um, there were a few women picked out to focus in on, on their stories. But I kind of didn't have this larger image of the, the female army. No, I didn't either. And I expected it. Yeah, so that, I don't, I don't think it's misleading, but I think I was just surprised, and not in a bad way, I don't think, but I was just surprised that we focused more on, on individual stories of a few rather than the larger effort by the women. Um, but I think that probably allowed the author, Maaza, to make the story more concrete and grow. Personal. Mm -hmm. Personal and allow it to grow for people to connect to. So. Not exactly what I expected, but you do still get those sense of, or you get tidbits of that, of what they, what their lives were like and what they would have been going through and what drove them to join an army like that. And even what drove some women against it. There were some women that, that didn't want to be in that army. Oh, walked off, walked away after having words with us, dear. Mm -hmm. So that there was. There's a lot of growth in her route to, like from the beginning, she didn't really seem to be having much character at all. Yeah. And she definitely developed character throughout all of these things that happened to her. Yeah, I definitely see her more as a 
reactionary character. Mm -hmm. She developed as she reacted to the people around her. I think people, there's this concept of your relational self. The idea being that your identity is only created or constructed as you relate to people. Mm -hmm. Um, And Harut reminded me of that theory um, a lot because on her own at the start of the book, there just wasn't a lot there. Rue, you kind of talked about when she was looking for the gun, she looked in in like small plant pots. Underneath dining room chairs. <laughs> I mean, a rifle is not going to fit there. <laughs> so she had a very kind of um, henny penny, naivete kind of yeah. character. Uh, and she was very focused on that gun. <laughs> sense of self. And then as people came into her life and did things to her and said things to her. It changed her. It changed her. Um, and she feels much more concrete toward the end uh, of the book. So that was interesting for sure. Um, we've kind of already talked about how Western European politics are just the backdrop mm. of this book. Um Of course, for readers today, we already know what's coming for Europe, um, what's brewing um, for a lot of these characters, and so not much of a surprise there. But then um, people are people, right? We've been saying that, and so there are the same conflicts that we see anywhere people are, and so we start to see other themes like sexual assault. That is a theme throughout the book. That really comes um, up as the male uh, camp, the male part of the military and the female part of the military are living uh, side by side. Um, You do see Austere really try to create a border between them. I think there's a point in the book where Kadane talks about conflict and his military coming up because the men are upset that Austere won't allow any man into her side of the camp. Mm Uh, But there's a reason for that. And Mm -hmm. we see that a couple of times throughout the book. And it comes in the form of sexual assault. Kind of on that path is slavery. And so we do do interact with, we see a lot of characters impacted by slavery. Whether they are slaves, they come from a family of slaves. Um, I think even Austere's very personal story is affected by a slave in her life. And we see that come up again and again. Mm-hmm. Um, so slavery is a big component of this book, and or at least a big component of the days for the people in this book. There was a point where Kidani wanted to acquire weapons from this one guy, and that guy wanted Harut to travel with him as his prostitute, <laughs> for what? lack of a better word. Did... And he'd bring her back. But she didn't know what... She, what he wanted she was that naive but the cook stepped in and saved her from that because the cook told him she could get him this leaf thing that he liked to chew something even better than that leaf thing i can't remember what they called it but it turned their teeth red um it was like a uh a cross between like pain relief and a drug yeah and so she wormed her way in there and took Harut's place in that situation. So she did save her some grief there. We're seeing women just being treated as objects as they Property. have been 
mm -hmm. throughout all of history of humanity. Um, I think that sexual assault and slavery kind of live in parallel to one another throughout mm -hmm. this book, and that's pretty true to the history of humanity as well. Um, Rue, you're bringing up a point in the book where we start to see the cook um, leave the Ethiopian army led mm -hmm. by Kadane, and this will be a little bit of a spoiler alert. So if you do intend to read this book, you may want to mute us for a few minutes or skip ahead. On the other side of the book is the Italian camp where Colonel Carlo, Ettore, and Fifi are. The cook is the cook that's with Fifi, right? Is that yes. how you felt? Yes. Okay. There's, um, there's a cook that is with Fifi, um, and she, her character development was really interesting because the cook that we see with Harut and Austere is not the exact same personality that we see with Fifi in the Italian camp. You can tell she's a little changed, a little more skeptical, a little more uh, pessimistic about life. Not that she wasn't already blunt and kind of to the point, but... Um, there's a point in the book where the cook starts to talk to Fifi about changing Colonel Carlo's mind. And she's kind of like, look, like you're an attractive woman. You know how life is. And that's kind of where we see her at that point in the Italian camp. She's kind of like, I think she's let go of the hope of the Italians coming in and making her life different. She's mm -hmm. pretty much accepted life is life. Men are men. Women are women. This is just how it goes. And that's kind of, that's how I read her in the Italian camp. Yeah, and Harut and Austere end up imprisoned in that camp, and she's trying to work to help him get out. Yeah, so there's a point where Harut and Austere come back into contact with that character, mm -hmm. and that's where I wasn't really sure. Are they the same character? Because they don't have a direct... There's never a conversation of what happened to you in the interim from when you left the Ethiopian camp, and how did you get into the Italian camp. Obviously, we know she right. comes... Right, we don't in, know that part. We, she comes into contact with Fifi and follows Fifi around. Mm -hmm. um, we don't get much more in terms of a feeling of finality of her story. Closure. That. Closure. We don't really get much more in ways of, in way of closure. She was probably my favorite character. In the, the cook? Book. The cook. I liked Aklilu, I think, because he was a protector of the root. Mm-hmm. He seemed to be more um, honorable than anybody else in the book. I think, um, you know, Ruth, we've talked about this a couple times in the last couple books, in the last few books that we've read, is the surprise of, of the theme of mental health being mm -hmm. in the book. Uh, this is a book that has a lot of mental health challenges. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the characters are dealing with a lot of stress, a lot of strife, they're dealing with a lot of loss of identity or a lack of concrete identity. They're really being challenged um, by the surrounding and the situation that they're in. And I think the emperor is probably one of the best examples of that. There's a point where he abandons Ethiopia. He's decided this just has to play out on its own one way or the other. I'm leaving for safety. So he hedges his bets and goes to Britain. That's really kind of the backbone of 
this story, at least where the title comes from, because there's this concept of a shadow king. And I don't, is, is that a common practice? I mean, I think she talks, uh, I think some of the characters talk about a concept of a shadow king being used by other leaders, but a mm-hmm. shadow king is just that. It's a shadow of the actual king. It's a double. It's a doppelganger, essentially. Mm-hmm. So someone that bears a heavy resemblance to the actual leader and kind of acts in place, which represents him. makes a lot of sense. Um, before you had things like the internet that would allow you to do video conferencing, that people would rely on, at least noble people might rely on other people that look like them to carry out duties that had to be done in person. Well, Kadane was not getting any help from the local people in the area where he was fighting the Italians. And the reason was because the news was going around that the emperor had left, that Shah had left the country. And so they came up with this shadow king to bolster the belief of the people in the surrounding Mm -hmm. villages that they could win and that the Shah hadn't left. He was still there. Yeah, and I think that's really the most interesting part of the book to me because that's where we see Austere's female army really become part of it. Part of mm-hmm. the military fight because they start to guard the appointed Shadow King. Mm-hmm. Um, and Harut ends up being guard number one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you start to see her character develop just from that responsibility from the connection that she makes with the person that is the Shadow King, um, that he needs a lot of um, bolstering and guidance of his own um, because that's not really a position he wants to... I mean, who would want to be a Shadow King? Probably nobody. Um, There's a lot that comes with that, especially when the actual person you're representing has hightailed it Mm -hmm. out of there. And so I really saw Harut's character kind of grow a backbone and like stand up and shape up and say like look it's now or never you know she had to train to be a protector as well i mean to to fight yeah and kildane and austere had to train both harut and minim the shadow king the shadow king to play the roles Mm -hmm. because i mean one was a servant and the other was nothing Mm -hmm. they had no idea how to act like a shaw and a guard. Yeah. They had to be taught. So those those Quickly. were <laughs> the more enjoyable parts of the book for me. I think um, this was a slow build book. And I think they even say that in the reviews that come alongside the book where they talk about how it's unputdownable and you can't stop reading. I think that really comes toward the latter part of the book where... It, yeah, I wasn't believing that. You know, as I was starting the book, I'm thinking, man, this is boring. <laughs> but at one point, I could not put it down. And I read straight through until I was done. Yeah, because you, you're kind of wondering, like, how does this really... What's going to happen next? Uh-huh. Yeah. How does this go down? Do they really pull this off? Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think, I think this takes us out of themes, unless there are other themes you want to discuss. Mm-hmm. I think this really takes us into Maaza as an author. Um, I don't know. I think she did a really good job of navigating a 
landscape because there are a lot of characters to deal with and there's the invading party there's the defending party there's the politics that make that war happen um and then there's like the everyday people that are in the army fighting on either side um i think atore was a character that she used to really kind of show a moral ambivalence um, for some of the characters in the book that are kind of wondering, okay, I'm here in this war. Do I really believe in it? Does this really make me feel like a good person? Um, but then you're still helping. You're still there in the war effort on that side. Yeah, I really didn't like him. So Atori, I think is a character that really believed he was good and wanted to do good things, but he also was a bystander. He had bystander effect where he saw really bad things happen for no good reason, and he didn't intervene. He didn't stop it. At the same time, he is, he has a Jewish he background. Didn't, he didn't realize that. He didn't realize it, but he has a Jewish background, and... Hitler and Mussolini are starting to round up Jewish people mm -hmm. and put them into camps. And so you see him kind of developing his own worries about returning to home and what's happening to people like him, which isn't too different than what the average everyday Ethiopian would have been feeling at that point, that there is an invader coming in and ripping your life apart. And it was like he wanted absolution from Harut. He kept going and talking to her at the fence where she was imprisoned. He has an odd relationship with Harut in that he develops a strong attachment to her. And he definitely wants a sense of uh, validation and forgiveness from her. I mean, I, I do think he regrets his time in Ethiopia. I think mm -hmm. he regrets playing a part in that war. Um and I think that really represents an unforgiveness he's giving to himself. This, I think, goes back to mental health in general, uh, stress on your identity. His actions didn't line up with who he believed himself to be. And he he saw Harut, I think, as a very noble, ethical character. Because at that point in the book, that's who she is. She's really dedicated herself to a way of life. And I think he really... He, I think in the book, feels like he lacks that. He admires that in her. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting is the reader has all of these chapters about who Harut is and how she got to be the character that she is at that point in the book. In that she wasn't always this very strong-willed, very um, dedicated, very hard backbone. I'm here for what's right kind of character. Yeah, he didn't see that part. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's just an interesting part for the reader. I think this overall takes us back to just the author's strength as a writer. I think she did a really great job of navigating so many moving parts. I think a war-driven storyline is you either focus on a very small aspect or a very large encompassing aspect and I think she went for the large and she did a, a very good job of it like she took us through some of Ethiopia's history 
Um, she took us through here are the characters at play and why they're important and how they got to be where they are. Um, it's a slow build, I think, in that she's trying to not just educate us, but also give us a sense of who these characters are and why they're there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a good book. I, I just didn't like people. <laughs> <laughs> there were, um, I don't know, I think there were a few chapters. There are chapters that are titled Chorus. Mm-hmm. And I are, didn't get that. <laughs> they are very um, lyrical. Uh, I think they're meant to be more poetic. For me, they felt like they were, this is going to be a very simplistic view of it, but do you know in the story Hercules, like the Disney movie Hercules, where you're watching the muses that are kind of singing along and letting you know the storyline, kind of like a Greek play, but for me, I took it more as the voices of the what the average Ethiopian would have been feeling and thinking at that time. Hmm. So for me, they were telling you how Ethiopia as a country felt about the things that you just read. Well, she the book starts out with her thinking about the people in the box, the dead people in the box. So at the that very could be related. At the very beginning of the book, Harut is she is walking with a box of photos that Atore, the photographer, the Italian photographer, had taken. Mm-hmm. And she intends to meet with Atore. This all is the driving factor. He wants to meet one last time and seek out validation and approval from her. And get his box back. And get his box. And she wants a box gone because She's thinking about all these people in this box too much. And we won't get into why she has the box, what's in the box. I think that would ruin too much for people. Mm -hmm. But um, I think you're right. I do think... Those voices are kind of like the dead people. That could be the chorus. But Mm -hmm. um, I will say that may throw some readers off. There were components in the book where it felt very poetic and lyrical and if you're not into that, you're not going to be into that. Some people will really like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think overall, I do think Maaza is a very good author. I would totally pick up another book by her. I don't, I think I'm done with this story. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be reading part two if there is a part two. Um, but no, I thought she did a, a great job. I, it was easy to read. Um she had a wealth of information in here, and it was very visual. I don't know if that came through for you. Oh, yeah. It's like watching a movie. I think everybody should read it once. I won't read it again. Mm-hmm. So once I read that book, I wasn't done with that book. Okay, so question for you. If you were going to think about the types of friends and family in your life, what kind of person should read this book? Like, who is this for? Well, it's for anybody. I mean, for instance, I had, I don't think I ever even knew Ethiopia was invaded in that war. Mm -hmm. So anybody should have that basic information and also how war affects a country, how people stand up to it or don't. So anybody. I think I would really... I think there are lessons for anyone in this book. I mm-hmm. think there are values that anybody could take away from this book. But I would totally recommend this to 
my female friends. I think there are a lot of components in this book that they would relate to. Yep. Um, not that they grew up in a war-torn state, but I think the issues that a lot of these female characters face just in their everyday lives are things that they have felt with or grappled with or dealt with in society as it is today. Yep, I do too. There's something to that history repeating itself. People are people. Um, There's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> definitely. But I would definitely pick up another book by Ma Aza. I would too. Hmm. All right, Rue. Well, let's wrap up here. Any final words of advice or thoughts on the book? No, it's a good book. Well worth a read. Um, it's enjoyable about halfway through to the end. <laughs> you know, Ruth, someday we will have a book where not only do you like the characters, you like the book. Like, you, we'll find a book where you like the story and you like the characters. You're looking doubtful. <laughs> we shall see. <laughs> All right, well... To everyone listening, thank you for joining us. And Rue, as always, thank you for joining me in this endeavor. I'm really enjoying this. And I always have a great time going back and listening back to our episode. I do too. I really enjoy that. I'm also really enjoying how quickly we are getting some of the books that have been on my to-read list checked off. That's been really great. I don't think I've read this much in a year before. Um, just because work kind of takes I up. have. <laughs> says the retired lady but for me it's nice to have a project that's focused on actively reading and and making sure I think everybody has that reading list that piles up so this helps me a lot it's good to have a project with your mother oh okay uh-huh where you know I'm getting on in years right and at some point okay I will no longer be here uh-huh put out the pasture and you'll still have the podcast to listen to. <laughs> you really like to remind me of that, don't you? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, life is just a vapor mm-hmm. <laughs> for a short while, and then you're gone. Mm. That's coming. Mm. Well, <laughs> what a nice and positive message for our listeners. Thank you. Thank you for leaving us on that note. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you so much. Next episode, we'll be discussing Together Tea by Marjan Kamali. Mm-hmm. And we're looking forward to it. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us. Bye. <laughs>